right, we have Lisa, who is um, Snowball Project Director. Yep, is that that's right. right. That's right. Um, working with with Elsa doing that. She has brought copies. Oh, you're probably going to say that. She has brought <laughs> copies of the, the Snowball Metrics recipe book. So if you didn't manage to pick one up at the beginning, do come and have a look at what we have um, for you over on the site. Do come and have a look at picking those up at lunchtime. Otherwise, it's over to you, Lisa. Okay. Is it? Uh, this is a controller, is it? Put this keyboard here. Uh, yeah, if you use the, the on arrow keys. Thank you very much. All right, good morning. Guys, great to see so many faces out there, and you all look awake, so thanks, Jonathan, for keeping everybody awake for me. Um, I'm going to talk about Snowball Metrics. I'm Elsevier's main representative in the Snowball Metrics program. Um, until today, actually, we've almost exclusively worked with people in research offices and their management in universities. And with Snowball Metrics, we're very keen to also engage a bibliometrician, so this, this is the first time we're trying that, so I'm going to be very interested in your reactions and, and interest in this today. All right. If there's only one thing you remember from this 45-minute slot, please let it be this slide. Um, what I'm trying to do with this slide is tell you what Snowball Metrics are, why they're unique, and why you should be interested in them. So what are they? They're a set of metrics that are endorsed by a group of universities in the UK. And they're metrics that those universities would like to have as uh, systematic input into their strategic decision-making. It's got a university strategic focus here. We're not focusing on researchers, we're not focusing on fields, it's university strategy. The metrics are tried and tested methods, and they are available free of charge in this book. I'll come on to it a little bit more later on the web. They're available to the sector for anybody who would like to use them. And the metrics are absolutely clear definitions. They're, they're recipes, they're uh, uh, protocols that you can follow. The idea is that they're absolutely clear so that every university will interpret them in exactly the same way. There's no room for massage to increase or reduce your research numbers and make yourself look better for one particular aspect. There is everybody does things exactly the same way. If universities follow these recipes, they can share their metrics with each other and benchmark their own performance against each other. And that's so important to, to be able to make a judgment about whether a university is excellent in a particular area. That input is very important into university strategy. All right, so that's, that's metrics. I've just pretty much described any metric in the world. Why are snowball metrics interesting and unique? Two main reasons. The first reason, the critical one, is that universities are, um, maybe it sounds a little bit melodramatic, but really taking charge of their own destiny in snowball metrics. It's quite typical that HFP um, or a, a funding body will say, you know, this is how we're going to look at the performance of a university and impose their way of the world on a university. That makes sense to HFP or a funding body, but it's not necessarily uh, the most useful input for a university. So snowball metrics, it's universities themselves taking control and saying, let's sit back and think for a minute about how we want to look at our own performance and what will be useful for us. I think that's a really key difference to most of the, uh, key difference to most of the other initiatives that are going on these days. And there's also a unique aspect because uh, the people behind snowball metrics are a collaboration between academia and industry. Elsevier, that's why I'm standing here talking to you. This is a key slide. If you want to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep now. You've listened to that, it's a good time. Right? Um, I'm going to try and tell you in the next couple of slides how Snowball Metrics got going. 
what needs the program is addressing. I'm just going to run through this uh, lot of writing, don't worry, I'll explain it to you. Um, first of all, there's a growing recognition amongst universities of the value of having data and having metrics as input into strategic decision making, alongside the peer review that Jonathan's talked about. So metrics absolutely not a replacement for thinking or forming opinions, but, but a support to it. There's a growing recognition about how important that is. Alongside that, there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the tools that are available to help uh, universities to use their data, to use proprietary data and so on, and actually get insight into what's going on. None of the tools seem to do everything that a university wants it to do. Some get close, but they don't usually get the whole way. Um, systems often don't talk to each other, they don't join up between universities, and quite often even within universities they don't join up. So there's lots of bits of data all over the place. And quite often universities have invested a lot of resource in building their own bespoke implementations, um, which just makes it even more difficult for systems to talk to each other and join up. There's a lot of dissatisfaction with that. The third point is that there's also a lot of uh, frustration over, I'd say, the huge range of metrics that are available to look at performance. There's more metrics that you can count. I think you could spend a lifetime reading the literature, looking at all the different varieties of a particular metric, loads of them. Um, what seems to be missing is a small but manageable set that somebody has said you know, would be a good starting point for university to take a look at. Start here. This is, this is a, good, a good coverage of what we're doing. Um, and I also already mentioned the, the last point in this background, uh, which is that there's a lot of requests coming from external bodies um, who want to look at university performance for their own purposes. Those requests seem to be ever-growing. There's loads and loads of them. And universities always have to return information to those requests because a lot of money is usually involved, right? So you don't want to say no. Um, increasing numbers of those requests, increasing pressure, less and less time to think about stuff from the university's own perspective. So maybe some of these, uh, this background bits sound familiar to you. Um, as far as we know so far, they are uh, valid all over the world. With this in mind, uh, in 2010, some folks at Imperial College London approached Elsevier to ask us to do a collaborative study with them to look at the state of research information management in England. And that's this report. It's a big, long report. There's some copies there. Of, some, of the, some of you have got a copy already, but there's uh, more there if you like. It's freely available on the web. Anybody can have it who wants um, this report was funded by JISC, and what was done in that report was to go and interview uh, folks in the research office at about 20, 25 English universities and ask them about research management in your university, how's it going, what's going well, what's frustrating you, what would make the biggest difference, all of that kind of stuff. And what came out was not surprisingly a lot of the stuff that was known to some people that I've run through in the background, but a series of recommendations also came out. I think there were 16 of them. I'm not going to go through them all. Just let me highlight three. One recommendation is that uh, people should work more collaboratively, people in the higher education sector, share their knowledge and share their best practice. Um, there's a lot of reinventing the wheel going on. So in particular, the study suggested that universities and funders should work more collaboratively together and also that they should develop stronger relationships with suppliers. So as Elsevier, we were quite happy to hear that, of course. Uh, the reason being so that suppliers can get a better understanding of the needs that need to be addressed, 
and build better tools so that you hope you'll actually have a tool that will address all of your university's needs for once. Um, another recommendation to highlight is that um, there was a, a strong desire for an agreed national framework of data and metric standards. Um, and it was proposed that suppliers should participate in developing these standards, so you in there, in the mix, um, and, and able to understand why they're so important. And the last recommendation that I'll highlight is that universities need to be able to benchmark themselves against their peers to understand their relative position, to understand whether something is a strength or a weakness. And that's more and more important these days in the, in the difficult financial times. Right, so I read about it in the report, but that's kind of the highlights. We hear quite often that um, the REF addresses, or the RE, addresses a lot of the uh, needs or recommendations that I just pointed out that came out of that 2010 report. Um, but what we hear from uh, universities is that the REF is, to some extent, very good and gives good insights to a university, but on its own it's not enough to satisfy a university's needs. So, the current situation for the REF, or the RAE, is that you get a snapshot of information every five or six years about what's going on in the UK and, and relative standing with your peers in the UK. The REF provides a very focused approach to what it measures. It measures a lot of outputs, outcome stuff. If you're a university, you probably want to look at the money that you're winning in terms of funding and how you're spending that money as well. There's no information on that in the REF. There's a strategic allocation of researchers to the units of assessment for, for the REF. Um, the reason why un one university might put a research in biology might differ from the re reason that another university puts a research in biology. Um, the strategic reasons for allocating people are not good for making comparisons between universities. And the methodology of REF already changes a little bit every five or six years as well. It's not great for universities to probably want a stable baseline to be able to track um, progress. So, so REF's okay, gives some insights, but what would universities really like? This is what we hear. We would like snapshots of data metrics that are much more current. We would at least like to have uh, those snapshots every year and possibly more often. Nobody wants to make decisions based on old, out-of-date data. I want to have a broad range of measures across all the activities that the university is doing in terms of research and enterprise not only the stuff that is produced for all of the activities. Right? There's a lot more going on in a university and information is needed about all of that stuff too. I want to have a comparable allocation of researchers to subject disciplines between universities. That allocation shouldn't be strategic. There should be one reason that a university puts somebody here and it should be the same in every university. And universities also want a stable approach to, to looking at their performance, not something that chops and changes all the time. Right, so if you remember what I talked uh, about on the last slide of that 2010 report, and look at the desired situation here, that leads into, and I hope it's clear how that leads into, the vision for the Snowball Metrics programme. <coughs> so the vision is that Snowball Metrics drive quality and efficiency across higher education's research and enterprise activities, all of them, and not just the outputs and outcomes. Regardless of the system that somebody is using, or a supplier of data. There's no reason why that should make a difference to a university when they're looking at their performance. And Snowball Metrics will do that because, in the vision, they will become the preferred standards that research-intensive <coughs> universities use to benchmark their performance with their peers globally. Right, so we've started in, in the UK, as you'll see, 
But the vision is that these things become useful globally so you can make global judgments about your position. Um, because also in the vision, these metrics will encompass all of the activities that, are, that the university undertakes in their research and enterprise uh, undertakings. So that's a vision, an ambitious ambition there. I'm showing you here who the project partners are who are involved in Snowball. Uh, I mentioned already it's a, a collaboration between academia and industry. You see the academic partners, Cambridge, UCL, Leeds, Oxford, Imperial, Bristol, Queen's, Belfast, St Andrews, and the industry partner is Elsevier. Um, we are all partners there. I'm going to, on the next slide, show you the different roles of, of people because there's quite often some suspicion about what Elsevier is doing there. Fair enough. So... What do we all do? All right, first of all, everybody, all nine, all the universities and Elsevier, is responsible for covering their own costs. Um, quite often I hear Elsevier described as a funder or a sponsor for this uh, Snowball Metrics program, but it's not the case. Um, we're not paying the universities anything to, to participate. Those universities are in there because the needs are, are so important to them and the, the chance to do something uh, useful and important is, is so appealing to them. Right, so everybody covers their own costs. It just costs the project partners money, some probably more than others, but everybody's paying for it themselves. All right, beyond that, the university project partners, their main job is to um, agree which metrics it is that they want to endorse as a snowball metric. What is it that we would like uh, to have as regular input into our university strategy? All right, I'm, I'm from Elsevier, I'm not a university, so they don't care what my opinion is, and I don't get involved in these conversations. The universities decide that. And having agreed the metrics, they also uh, need to determine what a good method would be that they can all conduct right, to get to get to that metric. So um, their job here is to say, you know, we all have these different systems. They're all more or less full of data. There are more or fewer holes in the data. Um, it's more or less granular than each other. What is it that we can all do? consistently. If, if we specify the metric this way, what is it that we know we can all do without question? Maybe in an ideal world you'd like to do something a little bit further, but we can't all do that, so for benchmarking it's no good, forget it. What's the point which everybody could do? And, and those two things are the university's roles in, in the Snowball Metrics programme. So what is Elsevier up to? What am I up to? Uh, one role is to ensure that the methods that the universities come up with, that they think will work in, in their heads, are actually feasible when they are tested on real data. That they actually work for whole universities and not just for one university, but for, but for all eight of them. So the way that we do that is to, to build a pilot. We call it the Snowball Metrics Lab, and I'll, I'll show you a few screenshots from that in a bit. That's only available to the eight project partners, but that takes in real data from universities, proprietary data, we're using Elsevier data because that's what we've got, um, and also third-party data, and it mixes that up, produces metrics, makes sure the results are sensible and that the comparisons are, are meaningful and, and they look right to the universities. So we test. Elsevier has pretty good communications networks and they are all available to, to the programme to get the word out, to explain to people about what's so cool about this whole programme and why they should be interested. And we're also responsible for day-to-day -day project management of the programme. Um, all the universities are involved of their own accord. They all pay for their own costs. But, you know, everybody's got day jobs. Right? Everybody's got the ref coming up. So you need somebody to, to keep this on the top of lists someday so that work still gets done. And that's what I spend most of my time doing.
There are a couple of things that are not anybody's responsibility in the Snowball Metrics program. Uh, one of the key features of Snowball Metric is that they, they can be generated regardless of the data source that you have available in, in a university. Um, to generate a metric on <coughs> applications, I mean, you need some applications data, but it doesn't matter what system those data are held in. It doesn't, doesn't make any difference. Um, it's a responsibility of Snowball Metrics to make sure that all systems can kind of contribute data to the metric, but the quality of data in the system is not something that we can take any responsibility for. So if a system's only 10% you know, full of data, well, that, that's a shame, but that's something that's completely outside of our, uh, anything we can control. And the provision of tools to enable the sector to generate and to use the snowball metrics in, in the benchmarking activities is also outside the remit of the snowball metrics program. Um, I'll come on to it in a minute. Elsevier may choose to do this, and we very much hope that other suppliers will choose to do that as well. I'm looking down there. Um, but that's not an expectation of, of our participation in the program itself. All right. So, uh, the second handout that I brought with me is this. I think, again, some of you have it. If you haven't got it, there's a, a pile there. And if we run out and you desperately want some more, let me know and I'm happy to send you some copies. This is uh, what we call the Snowball Metrics Recipe Book. And this is quite a significant milestone that was reached at the beginning of November last year. Now, why am I standing here holding it, looking probably like a proud parent? Um, what is in there? <coughs> I'm extracting from a statement that we published in October last year to explain to you what is in there. So agreed and tested methods for new snowball metrics and ver new versions of existing snowball metrics are shared free of charge with the sector. And they will continue to be shared free of charge in the sector. And what's in here behind the final three flaps are the first set of metrics that have been uh, agreed by the universities and tested by Elsevier in the lab that we're sharing with the sector. So that's why it's uh, so significant. Let me just go on with a bit more from, extracted from that statement of intent. None of the project partners will at any stage apply any charges for the methods of the metrics. So the university project partners won't charge, and Elsevier won't charge. All project partners, one of them will charge. Everybody's committed to that. And any organisation can use these methods for their own purpose. If those purposes are public service, great. If those purposes are commercial, great. Go ahead, use them. Everybody can take them and use them. So you, it's kind of happened again. Usually when I say that, people go, oh yeah, and there's a look of scepticism that appears in people's eyes. Like, you're Elsevier and you're commercial and I don't really believe you. Um, it's true, we've actually published that online. But it's, it's a fair point because Elsevier really has two roles in uh, snowball metrics or around snowball metrics. One role is that we're a project partner, and all of this stuff applies. Elsevier is also one of these, right, where any organisation who can use these methodologies, so it's Thompson, so it's Symplectic or whatever. Um, and of course we have interest in using the methodologies to, for, for some commercial purposes. These are two quite separate activities. So what I want to do in the next click is show you the line for Elsevier between free stuff, participation in the programme, and the line for commerce, right? And then I hope that you'll stop looking at me so sceptically and uh, listen to the rest of the talk. Uh, and I should say, this is only true for Elsevier. If other suppliers decide to use the metrics for their own purposes, I don't know what model they will come up with, they'll have to say that for themselves. So, this is our approach. Any organisation 
can use the, the recipes to prepare metrics in their own kitchen, right, uh, from their own ingredients, data free of charge. Um, so Elsevier is an organisation that can use the recipes from data sources available to prepare the metrics. Fine. We already have a little experience of some universities asking Elsevier for, for help to generate the metrics and to use the metrics to compare their performance. Well, if you ask Elsevier for help, then we think that's like going to a restaurant and asking for the recipes to be prepared for you. And in that case, we will charge something. So take the recipes, use them yourself. Everybody's free to do it. But if you ask Elsevier to, to do something for you, to help you, then we'll charge for it. So that's the line. Um, most people think that's a fair line, and I hope it's clear. We look a bit more relaxed again, so hopefully that's going to work well. All right. I promised that I would show you a few screenshots from the Snowball Metrics Lab. That's one of Elsevier's contributions to the program to test the feasibility of the metrics that the universities think will work, to test it on real data and make sure the metrics actually work. This is a screenshot from the, the lab. Um, maybe you can just see down the left the list of uh, metrics that are in the first set that have been shared in the recipe book. There are some metrics in the areas of inputs, where do you get your money from, processes, how do you spend your money, and the outputs, what do you get for the money that you spend. Um, university data, proprietary data, and third-party data are all needed in, in various uh, combinations to generate these metrics. I'm going to show you some screenshots on a metric called income volume, and the data for that are drawn entirely from a third party. Uh, it's not based on any data that universities have provided themselves, which I, I'm not able to show you, of course. Uh, the screenshots are also anonymized, so I'm completely at liberty to show these to you. I don't think I'm doing anything dodgy here. All right, so income volume. Uh, yeah, this is a screenshot from the lab. You can see eight lines. There are eight university project partners who all have access to this thing. Um, and they can see how their performance is relative to each other and over time. Um, the university that is the blue line here will be looking at this going here, the top. Everybody always wants to be top, right? Um, it could be that the university that is a blue line is very big. Right? This, is, this just shows totals for a university. It could be that they're very big. Um, and for that reason, one of the flavours of Snowball Metric that the project partners have defined in the recipe book is that you can normalise these metrics by size of a university. Right? It's not fair that big universities always get to go on top. I mean, small ones can be good too. So, what's happened here is that... Um, Someone's me has clicked the normalise by FTE count button. Uh, so you take away the accounting for the size of the university. And the blue line is now not top anymore, it's here. Now the green line is happy. Right? So it really gives you a, a different picture. Uh, while thinking about the metrics, the, the universities also said, well, it's not enough for us only to look at the level of a university. Right? We want to be able to dive down more granularly as well. So... Uh, we're going to define some more granular levels, and I want to test whether we can get to them in the lab. So what I'm showing you here is a dive down. So here, instead of uh, selecting university, somebody selected a discipline. This is clinical medicine example. And instead of looking at uh, all funders, we've selected a type, which is UK industry, something that I can't read. And although the green line was probably quite happy in the previous slide, right, because it had popped up onto top, now if you're the green line, you might be a little bit worried. And if this represents an area that you think that you excel in, then you would probably want to know 
uh, what's going on here so you can uh, do something and monitor if your something is actually impactful or not. Um, I should say that without having the, the context of all these other lines underneath, the green line wouldn't necessarily know whether this drop was a problem or not. Right? You might reasonably expect that uh, spending will drop in the current financial climate, but do you know whether that's a problem or not? No, you don't know. It could be going on for everybody. But by comparing yourself here, you can see that actually it's not going on for everybody by this way of slicing. It is a particular problem for you, the Green University, and it's worth taking a look at that. All right, this tool um, tests whether the metrics can be generated, but it also helps the, the people that we work with in the universities to secure the buy-in of their seniors and to explain really quickly and easily, because everybody likes pictures, what's going on, um, so that they could reach more people. They said, well, can you, can you show us, as well as a chart, what this might look like in a table? And of course we could, so we built a table in. And this is what it looks like here. You've got the option to view chart or table, you can see lots of universities here. You can make comparisons between whoever you choose of your peers. And you can also export data to do whatever you want with the outside. So that's the screenshots for the uh, feasibility lab. All right. That uh, lab was built after a lot of other issues were addressed. It really hasn't been easy to get to this point. Can you look at this and you think, ah, oh, finally, and you forget all of the pain and sweat and blood and tears that we went through. There are a lot of problems that, um, that had to be solved and, and addressed in a way that was acceptable to all of the project partners before we could get to the lab and certainly before we could get to publishing this. Um, so I just want to run through a few of those with you and quickly explain how we address them all. I won't go through the whole lot, but highlight a few. All right, so first up um, on the left were concerns about <laughs> the scope of what we're trying to do with the programme perhaps not, not surprisingly. If you think about all of the research and enterprise activities that a university undertakes, it's, it's huge. It's a very broad scope. Um, and there was, uh, maybe I shouldn't go so far as to call it panic, but a concern about coming up with metrics to, to address all of those um, areas. There's also a lot of concern about how we're we ever going to find data from the university, from proprietary sources, from third-party sources, to support all those metrics that we want to do. <laughs> So um, kind of spun on the spot for a while. Um, and the solution was actually quite, quite straightforward now that, now that we've thought of it. Uh, the solution was to form a group of uh, technical data experts in the universities. This um, concern really centred around the heads of research officers who we were primarily working with. And I think a lot of the concern was because they didn't feel familiar enough with, with the data um, themselves to be able to do what was needed. So they nominated uh, what we call data experts from the universities who really were extremely familiar and knowledgeable about the data that the universities themselves had, but also the other stuff that was out there in the UK, the third-party data. And the role to, to define the metrics was passed to the data experts. The data experts took one look at the range and said, hey, too many, no, we're going to limit it. We're going to make a, a small set, and the small set is, is what is in the rescue book. Um, the experts decided that the small set must be impactful, so important to every university, useful to every university, because you want to make a bit of a splash when you take a first step. Um, they should be doable, so all of the metrics are the, the pretty standard ones, right? The metrics themselves are not especially exciting. The exciting thing is that universities agree one single way to do them. 
Um, and they also wanted to have metrics that would use data from three sources, universities, proprietary, and third party, to test whether that was just a pipe dream or really doable, and it is really doable. So fine, that was that solved. The next big problem was sensitivity around sharing data, and there are a few flavours of this problem. Um, first of all, universities were worried about sharing their data with each other. You know, this is our data... You're going to look at our data and know something about us that you currently don't know, and I don't like that. That is not a nice feeling. It's, it's very sensitive. The universities were also talking about putting their data into the uh, Snowball Metrics Lab, which is a tool that's been developed by Elsevier. Right? So we're going to put our data into a tool that's been developed by Elsevier. We don't like the sound of that at all. You know, we, don't, we don't know what you're going to do with it or, or anything. Um, and equally, from Elsevier's side, we were going to be putting proprietary data into this tool to test the metrics. And we think, well, are we just going to give our data away? What's going to happen to the data? Is it going to end up all around the country? Right? So there's a few flavours of the problem that all needed to be, um, to be addressed. Three ways of addressing that problem. One was to uh, concoct a really solid data sharing agreement. It was extremely painful, very, very painful. Um, there's a very comprehensive agreement in place now about exactly what everybody's expected to do, what everybody can and can't do with the data, and the relationship between Elsevier and, and the project partners. That agreement was driven primarily by lawyers at the university project partners. And of course, we had input from Elsevier lawyers as well. But the universities are very comfortable that that um, reflects their needs. Uh, fine, everything is taken care of. So that's key. We have a couple of other solutions that uh, sit in the Snowball Metrics lab. One is the, the model by which you get to see metrics. So let's say um, I'm a university and I want to put in some data about my applications to look at the applications volume metric. Once I put in my data, the lab does some calculations and it generates the metric for you. It unlocks the metric for you. At the same time, it also unlocks the benchmarks of other universities who've also taken the step of putting in that same data. But you can only see the metrics of people when you've taken that same step. It's like, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. First fair, right? Why should I see all of your information if I haven't done anything myself? So that, um, that solution, very simple, but it is very, very effective. And the third way is that um, what is shared in the Snowball Metrics Lab is metrics. It's not data. There are data underneath the metrics that are used to calculate, calculate them. But the data belong to the university, or they belong to Elsevier, or they belong to whoever. That's not what's revealed. What's revealed is the calculations that are sit on top of the data. So all of those three things together solve the problem. Big problem. It's the Data Protection Act. Fun and games, this one. Um, Researcher-level data. So how was this addressed? Well, um, a lot of the addressing of the Data Protection Act is in the data sharing agreement. That's been uh, taken into consideration very seriously. Researcher-level data are only used where they're absolutely needed in the Snowball Metrics Lab, improving the feasibility. And where they're absolutely needed translates as to where lawyers were convinced that there was absolutely no other option, right? So it's been very rigorously tested, and we know that we're not breaking the Data Protection Act. Um, and also, the metrics do not go down to the level of researcher performance. Researcher information is needed uh, because researchers are grouped up together to make a subject discipline, and their papers and their applications and their awards, they all follow the researchers into that subject discipline. 
but nowhere in the lab can you drill down to look at the performance of a particular researcher. So they're kind of underpinning, but you, but you can't drill down that far. So that's how we, we uh, address the problem of data protection. And the last one on here was, like, oh God, it's going to take us ages to collect all this data. There's going to be a lot of labour. It's scattered all over the university. Sometimes I don't know the people who control the systems. And, ah, nightmare. This is, this is very daunting and it could be very time consuming. Um, and the way that we address this is to, to make sure that the way that the uh, data are input into the Snowball Metrics lab is as close as possible to native format in however the data are held. So all the universities have got different systems. They all hold the data slightly differently. So they all have to do a bit of work to, to get it into the, the state where you can put it into the lab. But they say, yeah, it's acceptable. For, for the benefits that we get out, for being able to understand where we sit relative to these other university peers, we're uh, willing to do the two or three hours work every so often to, to get the data together. So it's not insurmountable. All right. So all of that testing, right, all of the stuff I just showed you on that slide and the screenshots from the lab really do mean that the snowball metrics are feasible. Um, we didn't want to have a set of metrics that were just a nice idea. We wanted to make sure that really practically they were doable. I just want to run through what I mean when I say these things are feasible. Um, it almost means that they're smart, but we've got another S, so they're smart or super smart. I don't know. Um, one is they're specific. They're not open to interpretation. All right? Everybody will do these things the same. They're scalable. They will work for data across the whole university. It's no good if a metric will only work in your chemistry department. It has to work with your physics department and your biology department as well. So they do work across the whole lot. The metrics are manageable. It's, uh, it's an acceptable amount of time is needed to get the data together into the same format for everybody. Um, they are agreed. Everybody has to agree one way to do things, otherwise the benchmarks are completely meaningless, but they are agreed. They're realistic in that they're not just good for one university, they're good for all of the universities that we've tested with, and so far we, we know that they're good, going to be good across the whole UK. And they're time-bound, you know, they're not so labour-intensive that it's going to take three years to update them. So, so these things can be updated and be able to use them to input into strategies using pretty current data. Um, I could stop there. I wanted to talk a little bit about what's coming up this year in terms of new metrics. So I can do that, or I can give you the ten minutes for questions, as you prefer. Any preference? Is anybody jumping up and down with a question that they, they really want to, want to, to ask? Can you say who you are and where you're from? I'm Jenny Dunsell from the University of Warwick. Hi, um, I have a question about, you said there was um, some metrics that might only apply at one institution and not across all eight of them. Do you have any examples? Of oh, no, I must have, uh, must have stumbled over. Sorry. No, they, uh, the universities are, are looking for metrics that do apply to all of them. They're, look, they're always looking for shared needs. Sure. But so are there examples of ones that they found where they would only apply at one institution? Oh yeah, every, um, every university has their own way of looking at particular metrics. So a good one um, is success rate. How successful is your, are your applications for, for awards? Um, every university seems to have their own flavour of doing it. Um, and we actually tried to come to an agreement and, and decided, well, in this first phase it's going to be too difficult, so we're going to drop that one for, for later. 
So, um, yes, that's, that's a good example. Every university can, can do it themselves, um, but what they are missing then is the context uh, from, from other universities to know whether they're doing well or not. Lindsay Gatt, University of Edinburgh. Hi. Um, I noticed that all the institutions that are partners with you are Russell Group institutions. Yeah. I just wondered if any discussions were held with any other organisations as to their different needs and interests. Yeah, apart from uh, St Andrews and Russell Group institutions. Um, yeah, we're confident that all of the needs that are being addressed are really um, extended throughout the UK and globally as well. So this, um, this report... Uh, involved not only Russell Group universities but, but universities outside the Russell Group as well. Um, so we know that the needs are, are common. And we've done some uh, systematic and opportunistic testing with other countries as well, and so far all of those needs uh, ring true there as well. Um, we do sometimes get uh, concern about you know, why only eight universities can you really truly say these are representative of things in the UK and they're all the kind of flashy, distinguished ones. Um, that was done on purpose actually. What we're trying to do here is to have universities agree between themselves uh, on a set of metrics that they would like to use and a, and a method that they would all like to use to calculate them. I'm sure you can imagine it's quite difficult for eight universities to agree anything at all. Um, and the more universities you put in there with whatever purpose, the more and more difficult it's going to get to agree and they're slowly going to go. Um, so we've tried to strike a good balance between a uh, number of universities and representation in terms of um, the number of papers that they output and the number of citations that they get and the amount of funding that they get. Those eight universities account for about 40% of the papers, citations and funding in the UK. So in that respect, you can say the representative. I did with you or not. Okay, thank you. Sorry. So, who are you and where are you Sorry, from? I'm Mary Betts Group from Cranfield University. You mentioned that the recipes are actually free, but presumably the platform in order to benchmark, is that where Elsevier actually would be talking about implementing for universities? Yeah, that's Noble Metrics Lab. The, um, within the programme, it's free, so, so it's available currently only to the eight university project partners. Um, and they, they have it for free, they're not paying Elsevier for it. Um, we are looking at making that more widely available to other universities in the UK. Yeah, and then that is something that you would charge other universities for. I think um, it's not going to be uh, an amount as you would expect to pay for a, a typical product, perhaps, um, like, a, like a Scopus or a Web of Science. But it is some, something to reflect the, the value that is there and also the work that the, the project partners, and then Elsevier, but also the universities have put in. So, yeah. And in terms of time scale, when would you be thinking of that? Um, next few months. Um, we, we need to um, agree exactly the, the model that the project partner, university project partners are happy to open up the access to with that. Um, what it's looking like it will be, although it has still to be absolutely agreed, is that um, Elsevier can provide access to, to any university that we see fit. Um, but the universities must keep control over who they share their metrics with to benchmark. So you can imagine some kind of table saying, you know, universities 1, 2, 3, 53, 54 have, uh, have data in here, and I want to share information with, and you, and you tick the, the boxes. So probably that will be the model. Would that lead very nicely to talk quickly about what you're, what you're about your plan yeah. to do in the future? Okay. <laughs>
As I said, you meet Jesse today, the rescue book is a very nice milestone and everybody involved was kind of proud but it's really just the start of a hugely ambitious journey actually towards that vision that I mentioned um, in the beginning so there's a lot of work that will go on uh, this year around making sure that Snowball Metrics name and the Snowflake logo is visible and people are familiar with it and have some idea what it means right uh, we want to have some work about, uh, around about adopting snowball metrics, getting them adopted into universities and actually used for making decisions. It's nice if you have the numbers, but you want to use them as well. Um, but what I have a few slides about is, is uh, version two of this, which we're aiming to publish at the end of this year, so we'll see if we make it. Um, version two won't kind of throw away everything that's in there. It will, it will add to it. And there are three main areas that we would like to add to it in, and that's, they're the ones that I want to run through now quickly. Um, so we'd like to have some new recipes covering additional areas in research and enterprise activities. Right, so I, I said that um, we, we have some... Yeah. Now we have some metrics um, in these areas. There's a row called research, and you've got three columns here, research inputs, processes, and outcomes. Um, and we have some metrics in that row in each of the columns. But there are some other areas um, in this landscape where universities would ideally like to have metrics to represent all of the activities that they, they do. Uh, so there's postgraduate education row, which is completely empty of snowball metrics at the moment, and an enterprise activities row, which is almost completely empty. So we'd like to have um, some new metrics that fill in some of those gaps. That's the first thing. Second thing, um, one of the key things with a snowball metrics approach is to try to make use of adopting standards where they exist and, and where they make sense to the universities themselves. There's no point reinventing the wheel uh, when you don't need to. Right? One of the problems we're trying to address is not sharing best practice and, and the need to collaborate more between each other. So there's one uh, key standard that we will build into the Snowball Metrics recipes this year, um, and that's translation of the metrics into this thing called Serif. There is a society called Eurocris. It's a group of people who are interested in research information systems and how they interoperate with each other, and how they can interoperate with each other. And they produce this thing called SERIF, Common European Research Information Format. Right? And that's just a language that different tools can understand. So I've got a tool here and a tool there, and they have some information in them. They can't understand each other. They're different tools. But if you express the data in them in SERIF, then they can talk to each other. So if you're thinking about sharing uh, metrics for benchmarking, snowball metrics for benchmarking, hopefully you can see that it will be quite important to be able to express them in, in this language as well. So that's one key thing. And Eurocris is collaborating with uh, project partners to, to do this. And finally, uh, we would like to enrich the Group 1 recipes, or the ones uh, in the recipe book already, uh, to make sure that they can be calculated in other countries. Um, the recipe book at the moment has quite a UK focus. Right? If you flick through, you, you see that very easily. But the vision is that um, snowball metrics will support global benchmarking between peers wherever they are in the world. So we want to take a look and, and see whether we can um, express the metrics for, for other countries and the data sources that they have available. I think this is my last slide. What might this mean? Um, 
I'm just going to focus on this Venn diagram, and I have to say this is just completely made up. I don't know what it might look like, right? I'm just making it up. This is kind of what we're thinking. And I have three countries here. So let's say the blue country is the UK, uh, the green country is the country of elsewhere, and the red country is the country of A and other. Right? And maybe you, you can have snowball matrix for all of those three countries. The snowball matrix will overlap to some extent. Right? There, there will be common approaches that, that work in all of those countries. And that's the area here in the middle. Wherever things are common between the countries, that's where you can do global benchmarking. And that's really the driver for, for snowball. So we want to make this area as, as big as possible. And maybe adopting those standards like Serif, that's one way to expand that area. There might be uh, some other areas where uh, snowball matrix features can only be shared between particular countries. So like here, it's shared just between elsewhere and A and other, red and green. Not good enough for global benchmarking, but maybe it's still very useful for regional benchmarking, perhaps. There's still value there. And I think there'll be some other metrics that only work in a particular country. It's still extremely valuable to be able to benchmark against your peers in the same country, um, but not quite making it into the core. So this is a model that we expect to emerge, exactly what it will look like and which metrics and which bits of metrics will be in the middle and in the overlapping bits uh, remains to be seen but it will sure be interesting to find out. And I think that was the last slide. So thanks very much for, uh, for listening to me. Okay, so we've got... Um, we have one quick question. Yeah, and then, if we have one quick question now, and then if we have a, a quick um, refreshment break, grab another drink, go to the toilet... Um, before we come back for um, the next presentation. So I just wondered whether there have been any discussions with these uh, yeah. for those of you in the back, the question is about uh, how far HESA have been involved and whether we've been discussing with HESA. Um, I mentioned a few times third party data in here, and I didn't specify all where it came from. It's from HESA. A lot of the, the income information that comes from HESA, and they've agreed that we can use it in the lab um, to, to, to test whether these things are feasible or not. Um, they are interested in what we're doing. Of course, HESA uh, generate metrics themselves. They've commented that those uh, metrics are not particularly well used by universities, and they are interested in um, looking at models which which they could get involved in um, and, and trying, to, trying to drive more use of their information. So they're certainly looking and they're very supportive. Um, they're not driving the metrics themselves. That, that remains with the university, right? It's really a university-driven thing. But they are looking and they're being very careful to stay back and, and look and not push. Okay. So. Thank you. Thank you very much. Interesting. We look forward to seeing what's going on with in the next. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay,